Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Well, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. And as you all know, we like to have really interesting guests on here that have fascinating stories. And and what I really look for in a guest is not just somebody who has a fascinating origin story or backstory or even something that they've done professionally well, as you know, if you've been listening for any length of time. What I love is finding somebody who's got an interesting backstory, but has a, a more interesting windshield story, the things that they're doing in their life forward today to walk in purpose. And today's guest, Mr. Jim Hardwick, fits the bill and uh, Jim has been, uh, he's he really is a masterful sales leader, marketing leader, coach, developer of people, developer of companies, developer of businesses, tons of experience in healthcare. He's worked in med device. He's worked in diagnostics. He's worked in a lot of different places. And now he's actually serving a lot of small and mid-sized businesses as essentially their outsourced VP of sales or chief sales officer, helping them grow their businesses. But he's also got a really significant impact globally on some mission work that he's doing. And I can't wait for you to hear that story as well. So we got a two-parter for you here in one part. We got a guy who's an expert in business and he's also an expert at walking out purpose. Jim, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. It's It's an honor to have you on. Jeff, thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm thrilled to be on your show today. So what the guests know or, or what the guests don't know that the audience does know is you, you recognize I didn't read off your resume. Um, I rattled a little bit of things off, but I didn't, I didn't tell you where you went to school and all your all your accolades and all the letters behind your name. Because guess what? You and I both know. Ain't nobody care. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But what we do care about is learning a little bit about that origin story. Tell us a little about your why, where you come from, maybe who influenced you at an early age and some of those values that you really hope that you stand for today. Yeah, I grew up, I currently live in Phoenix and I grew up in Speedway, Indiana. Most of you, everybody's familiar with it. If you haven't heard of it, it's the Indianapolis 500 mile um, race is there every year, town of 19,000 people and 300,000 people would show up. And so I grew up in Indiana, um, Hoosier, and I was, um, and I'll just be very frank, is around my freshman year of high school, my parents got divorced. And so I was really my true role model growing up was my mom. You know, you hear that, you hear that, but that was really true. And that um, she was just an amazing woman. Get this. She worked at JCPenney for 28 years. She retired at age 55 and never looked back. Wow. So, you, you know, she wasn't a corporate executive. She sold appliances and she sold furniture. I brag about her. She's since passed, but I brag about her all the time because people think, oh, you can't retire. I've got to work. So she worked at JC Penney's in retail for 28 years, retired at 55. I'm 62 and I'm still working. <laughs> and I love it. And um, one of the pearls that I will say this. I had a difficult childhood with my father, and I'm going to share this quickly with your audience. You have two opportunities in life, to have a father and to be a father. If the first one doesn't work out, you better darn well make sure you're a good father to your children. So good. I've I've lived that, and I cherish that. Um, And I I, I have two boys. Um, We have, I went to DePaul University, D-E-P-A-U-W. 
which is in Greencastle, Indiana. And um, and since and then I when when I was at DePaul, I was in a group called Up with People. We traveled the world singing and dancing. People my age know Up with People. If you want to really have fun, go to the 1982 Super Bowl. We performed at the halftime. You'll see me there. I have a surfboard. I actually have a lot of hair. And so that Up With People has actually performed in the Super Bowl four times, um, more than anybody else has. So that was an experience that a kid growing up in Indiana, I knew cornfields. I knew flat, flat landscape. And so I fell in love with my, um, a gal and Up With People on the road. She lived in Washington State. So I graduated from DePaul and moved out to Washington. And from there on, I was in, um, we traveled all over the country on promotions. And I was in mostly medical, um, I'm sorry, hospital distribution, laboratory, the medical devices. I was in healthcare for 36 years. And the, the story goes that about three years ago, I was at a crossroads to figure out what I want to do when I grew up. And um, COVID hit, I was out of a job. And I found an organization called Sales Acceleration. And from there, I became an outsourced fractional VP of sales. And what that is, is I help organizations, small to mid-sized companies that are in sales pain, that are struggling with, um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners, they're fantastic, but they didn't start a business so they can run the sales organization. They don't know how. And so through sales acceleration, they have all intellectual property built. I joined that organization, even though it's my own company, I use their intellectual property and I'm able to go in and be effective. And when I'm done with these organizations, I'm growing their business by 20 or 30%. And it's just, it's so inspiring. I had been so burnt out in corporate America to the point where, and I know nobody can relate to this, but the Sunday blues, when you're in corporate America, because you know you have to get up Monday and face it all over again, your knots in your stomach. I actually had to take a year off because of stress. I was passing out on airplanes. I couldn't feel my hands at times. I was having our heart issues in parking lots and I had to take a year off from corporate America. And after I took that first week off, or it's like two weeks off, my, my wife finally looked at me when well, she looked at me and she says, it's nice to have you back. And Jeff, from that day forward, I vowed that I would never let a job dictate my life. Mm. I'd gotten so far into it. I couldn't see clarity. I was responsible for $1.5 billion dollars worth of um, sales for the year. And the stress was insane. And I I said, I won't. So what's funny is I, I took a year off, had a great time, built a house, river rafted down the Grand Canyon, did all these fun stuff. I got back into corporate America and uh, um, then I started managing people again. And here's what changed, sort of. So when people would come to me and they'd be complaining, they'd be frustrated about working at that company. I would look at them and say, then why don't you quit? Right. Why are you here? If the pain is so great, you need to quit. Do you understand that? Because I'm not going to let anybody go through what I went through. And no manager, no VPs ever told an employee that typically like, oh, we can work it out. Let's get you some help. Let's use. No, I just point blank and say, quit. You know, if it's that bad, because you start learning as you get older, you get perspective. And inevitably, they would always go. Yeah, it's not as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so <clears throat> obviously there's a lot of your story we're going to unpack as we go along here. So back to your um, to your roots. Now, I'm just, I'm still, I got this image of you 
holding a surfboard from Indiana, which doesn't necessarily fit with all this hair singing at the Super Bowl. Um, so I've got a lot of images I probably never be able to get out now. That that's good. But you, so you're, you 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 had a, this childhood where obviously your dad wasn't a good father in the picture, and your parents divorced. But your mom was this kind of beacon of a lot of values that you espouse today. Uh, yes. From you know, th- w- what were some of the things you remember most about your mother? I'm just curious before we move forward because I I really love to peer back into someone's life because so many times we don't always define the specific values or beliefs that we picked up from, we just admire those people. We know they had a significant influence on our lives and I don't want to put those words in your mouth. So I want to go back and, and cause I, I want to, I want our audience to do the same thing, right? I want them to list to, to right now start thinking back to that person or, or the couple of people in their early development days of five to 20 and who really had that significant impact on them just observationally. So what were some of those characteristics you picked up from your mom? Well, besides being a single mother, um, she taught me at a, at a young age, if you don't have the money and you can't afford it, you can't buy it. You need to save. Yep. You know, it's, and it's not like she was a financial genius by any means, right. but if you can't afford it, don't buy it. What do we do in America? Credit card, credit card, credit. I just heard on the news is we are the highest in debt again, right? You know, we've got about 2008. She taught me that she instilled. She taught taught me how to um, just love on others. Everybody would go to her if they had issues, and they would call her for advice. And she just had this calming spirit. She also knew how to laugh. And when you incorporate all those things, it was just it's just a. She was inspirational. Wow. Um, and she never complained. And the other thing she did, and I re- I hold this dear to her, when my parents were going through divorce. She never once said a negative word about my father. Mm. Never once. That's amazing. It is. Because you hear all the horror stories. Not till I got older where I could make my own observations, get some understanding. And then she would share a little bit, but really never, ever. And it was such that even after the divorce 30 years later, they still, my father couldn't be in the same room with with her. You know, and and he told told me one time he thinks he made a mistake. But, you know, you learn, you learn. Right. And those values and those in my sister and I both went to college. We both were able to um, get decent jobs. But that foundation that she provided was absolutely tremendous. Um, and we were best. We we were very, very close for many, 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 many years. And um, there was times in high school where she'd be working. I'd come home late. I was very busy in high school. I wouldn't see her for a couple of days. And she wasn't micromanaging me, but I knew that she was there and we learned to take care of ourselves. But she was also the kind of person I could wake up sometimes in the morning. She would make me homemade donuts. She'd make me eggs and sausage and bacon. I mean, who does that? Yeah. Especially today. There's her cereal and get your milk and move on. You know, we got things right. to do. She, That's great. Yeah, she was tremendous. Yeah. And I think, you know, we don't always fully appreciate some of those beliefs that we've picked up along the way because we, you know, the good or bad, we, we bring a lot of the junk in the brain trunk with us. Right. And sometimes that has negative impact on our relationships personally and professionally. Um, but we also have a lot of positive attributes that we picked up from folks along the journey that I see, you know, I can see just the, you light up, just telling the story. And the first time I met you, I'm like, this guy's got just a, he's got a warm a countenance about him. He's got an engaging spirit about him. That came from somewhere. He just didn't fall out of the womb with it. So now I know where you, where it came from. You got that from your mom, which is great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. 
So tell us then a little bit, one of the things I'm interested in on the professional side of things with all of your experience, you know, we're in a a season right now in the economy where you're just reading every day, layoffs after layoffs after layoffs and companies are going through that, 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 you know, anticipating this big recession that we hear all the time and cultures um, of companies are continuing to be this toxic world, it seems like. And every every year Gallup produces these reports saying that the over half the people that leave leave because of their managers. And, and we got all of this kind of built-in stress inside of these cultures of these organizations, regardless of whether it's a small business or a large enterprise. What's driving that toxic culture in a lot of these places? What do you think that is? It's a big question, I know, but yeah, I'm just curious because you see a lot of different companies in your role now, and you see a lot of different cultures because of it. And you know the healthy ones versus the toxic ones, and you probably see some similarities in some of the healthy ones and some similarities in some of the toxic ones. Yeah, the, the problem in corporate America is it's so driven to hit the stock price. Yeah, we have such a short window. It's it's in corporate America. It's like okay. We're going to set up our 12-month plan. You don't hit your number your first quarter. That plan goes out. Right. And now we're going to have a riff on the second quarter. And then we're going to try to, to slash our way to hit our numbers so we can bring the value to the stockholders. In Japan, they do a five-year plan. And they say, you know, we're going to have problems year two. Maybe we'll start going up year three, year four, and we'll hit our plan. And they have patience. Yeah. And they let it ride. And in today's market, it's just that pressure to succeed. And now because they're cutting and slicing, they're saying, hey, Jeff, we just laid off half the organization. We want you to stay with us. You got your job. Oh, great. Does that come with more pay? No. But you get to do double the work now. Yeah, it does come with more work. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to love it. Trust me. You know, you should be thankful you have insurance. And for the first time, especially after, during COVID and after it's, well, it's the first time the employees started leaving because they started reflecting of I'm tired of the rat race. I want to go out there and find what I want to do from a passion standpoint. I will implore anybody that's listening to this. If you're in a, uh, if you're in a job that you're just frustrated, stay in that job, but understand and seek your passion. Yeah. What do you want to do to to help your to be happy in life? Money is is important. You have to be able to pay your bills. But if you're miserable, is it really worth it? I got a friend who's making over three hundred thousand dollars a year. He hates every day of his life. And I said, quit. Go find a new job. You have a job. Go find a new job. I said, okay. Let's say you take seventy five thousand dollars less. You're still going to be able to eat. Right. You're still going to be able to go on vacation, but you're going to be happy. And we get so stuck in this rut of we're afraid to change. I have changed many times. I love to change. I've changed many times in my life. And every time I change and go someplace else, I'm a better person for it. I learn from that experience. And typically, I'm happier. Yeah, and you bring up a, a really good point, and it's, it's, it's in reference to what you said earlier around the your idea of your mom's telling, teaching you to save, and don't if you don't can't afford it, don't buy it. Well, the challenge that I see from a lot of people in our culture today is, is it's too late. They've already bought it, 
And now they are kind of pay it off. So therefore they're stuck in that job because they can't afford to pay the nut on the, they stretch themselves. And then, and then it just compiled the compounding effect of those bad decisions puts you in, you know, I used to tell my daughter, she's graduating from the Ohio state university next month in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, yay. She was going to be off the payroll soon. Um, I used to tell her, you know, the choices you make in the moment determine the options you have in the future. And I think for a lot of us, we're feeling stuck many times it's stuck because you've over leveraged yourself. And now you, you have to go work that job you hate just to pay the bill for this, to pay for the stuff that you didn't even want. Well, because we're a culture of, we have to have it now. Fast food nation, right? Fast food nation. Everything's a drive-through. We have no patience. Yeah, it's a Sesame Street mentality. Click, 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 click. Yeah. And instead of, okay, this is $1,000. I need to save $100 for the next 10 months. Then I can buy it. No, let me go leverage it on a credit card. Right. And then I can't really pay it. So let me pay another 8, 10, 12, 14%. And then something else emergency comes up, which I don't have any money in the bank, so I got to put that on the credit card. Pretty soon you're $50,000 in debt before you turn around. You don't know how you got there. Well, the good news is we've got great examples in Washington that don't do that. Our, our leaders don't over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, I, and I think what, in cultures today, because, you know, we do a fair amount of, of work with leaders with our neuro coaching program. And one of the things I, I see, and I love your reaction to this. When we go in and work with executive leadership teams and just leaders in general, one of the things we we find right away, we can see it almost instantaneously, is a lack of shared vision. Is that many leaders were promoted based on performance as an individual contributor, but never really given the skills and tools necessary to be a good leader. So then, they, therefore, they become a manager as opposed to a leader, and they don't really have their own vision articulated, let alone understand how to get the vision of their people. And so now you've got all this disconnected vision. So nobody's operating on purpose. Everybody's operating out of production. And it becomes really, you've commoditized the employee, you've commoditized the, the management team. And then it just puts all that stress in the system. And then nobody's happy. And, and we see that time and time again. So really the reaction I'd ask you to react to, or what I'd ask you to react to is, that idea of, of shared vision inside an organization. And I don't mean like this big vision of where the company's going. I mean, this is a, as your leader, here's my vision for why I love developing people. And I want to know your personal vision for your life and how I can help you get there using this company as a vehicle. Well, it's vulnerability and transparency. Yeah. That if, if you're vulnerable and you let people know that you're human and you're not just this egotistical leader, so some leaders become so egotistical, they think that their employees are supposed to serve them. If you're a true leader, you're supposed to serve your people. You know, I always used to say, yeah, I can hire and fire, but yet I'm there to make them more successful. And I will do anything I can to help my people be successful because it's very, very simple logic. If they're successful, guess who else is successful? And Jeff, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people become leaders because they've been the best producers. They've been the highest production people. They're the worst leaders because they're individual contributors. And I'll give you a perfect example. And this is more myopic with sales. We've all seen this. So the number one sales rep on Friday gets promoted to sales manager. He starts on Monday. He's floundering. He gets no sales training, no coaching, no mentoring. He's horrible because he doesn't want to listen to all the people complain about sales that he's now reporting to him because he's a maverick. He wants to go out and hunt. So 
In about six months to a year, they fire him. And then he goes, works as a sales rep at the competition and kicks their tail for the next 10 years. Whereas the best person to promote was probably the number three guy that has a leader with true leadership qualities that has that vision that wants to come along people and lift them up and make them powerful. And then if the corporation would spend a few dollars to give them the right training they need, everybody wins. But so true. It's that egocentricness. And we've seen it. Do you want to work for a servant leader or do you want to work for an egotistical leader? It's, you know, it's a simple question. Yeah. And most, uh, I think most, most folks would say, I remember my very first management job in, in biotech. I got promoted based on production and I, you know, I was, and I could tell good jokes. I don't know what, what, what got me there, but um, I was a high performer, right? So I got promoted yep. to lead this first team without any tools other than my just intu- intuition about what I thought managers were supposed to do. And within a couple of months, I was in, I was that guy, right? I'm like, I don't have any idea what to do. I'm supposed to make these people better. So then what I did was I defaulted back to, all right, I'm going to go do your job for you and you follow me and take notes and do it the way I do it. And if you can do it the way I do it, then you'll surely be as productive as I was productive. Yes. And another three months later, that didn't work. That didn't work. And so I think for, for many, I'm, I'm speaking to all you new managers out there who just recently been promoted, go to your organization and tell them you need leadership training on how to lead and develop people. You don't need management training. You can't manage people. You can only manage process. You have to lead and develop people. Some of us learned that the hard way, but we don't have to learn it the hard way, right? It would be great if people and organizations would pour into those folks. And we see that all the time here. Well, leadership is very, very difficult. And people don't realize because leadership isn't all about you. It's about your people. Right. I once had a manager that stepped down from being a manager and she said, I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. And I said, let me explain something. Cause I was a lineman in high school and football and it's a thankless job. All the people are getting the notoriety, the quarterbacks, the wide receivers and the, the running backs. And I said, being a manager, being a leader is like being an offensive lineman. You have to get it done, but nobody, nobody's going to give you the accolades or pat you on the back. Right. Your job is to pat them on the back. And she's like, oh, okay. And she she realized she wasn't a good leader because it was so hard for her to lead and get out of her own way. And it was a good decision. And a lot of people can't do that because it's the ego that gets in the way. So true. I want that vice president's title. I want that vice president's title. But you're not good at it. Yeah. Well, and I think... I feel like as I get older in this perspective and we, you know, we're so passionate at brain trust to help uh, leaders get this. So many of us, you have to be comfortable in your own skin, right? You have to have, you have to understand your own identity and be comfortable with who you are and that you're, you're, you're enough. And that then you can out of the overflow of that self, it's like a confident humility. And then when you can go and say, my job is to, to your point, make this team better well, what does that mean? Well, it, yeah, I can be measured on the scoreboard if I'm leading a sales team or, or whatever the KPIs are for my group. But man, if I can have people getting promoted because of just their ability to do things differently, and if I can see people th- uh, thrive, and and we we had a uh, Jason Lippert on our podcast few a few months ago, and he's a CEO of Lippert Industries, and he's built a culture. Uh, it's five billion dollar company. He's built a a world class culture. He actually has uh, counselors 
not just coaches, counselors and coaches on his staff at his company because he knows that the employees that come that work for him, if he can make them a whole person at work, it's going to drop a pebble in the pond when they go home. And he's going to make them better husbands and fathers. If he can make them better husbands, fathers, mothers, sisters, then they're going to come back to work. And he's figured out this kind of ecosystem of the whole person. And I think when a leader clicks like that and they get that, oh, it's just a huge change, isn't it? Oh, I here's here's another one I'll add on to that. And if you have leaders listening, I want you to, if you're a leader listening, ask this your question. Because I just was, I did a talk at a conference recently and I asked the audience, I said, how many of you out there know your employees' goals and dreams? I think I had one hand go up. And I said, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here, but nobody comes to work for you because that's their dream job. That that's that's they grew up so they could work in pest control or be working in an engineering company or whatever it is. Their goals and dreams are they're working because they want to pay off their house. They want to put their kids through college. They want to take a trip with their family to Disneyland. They want to buy a boat. They they want to take care of their parents. That's their aspirations. When you start learning their goals and their dreams as from your employees. And you can help them get there, set out a plan to how they can achieve that. You've got employees that now want to run through walls for you. You've got employees that want to be there because they know that you have their best interest. And it's just not, you weren't at your desk by eight o'clock. Right. You know, come on. That's so myopic. No, how can I help you achieve that and help your sick mother, you know, whatever it is, that you can make enough money to help them or help you be successful? When you know that about your employees, it's really going to turn the culture around. It's so true. And, you know, I said it earlier, we'll say it again, that that idea of shared vision. I think sometimes senior leaders go through an organization and they're like, this is about accountability. You can't just be running around here, kumbaya, hugging people up every day and asking them, you know, blah, blah. No, it's both and, right? It's here's here's our vehicle, our company. Here's our vision and our purpose and our values as a company. And then here as a leader, here's how my values align to this vehicle and why I love leading here, but you're the missing link. So when I get to learn your values and your personal yes. your personal vision as an employee, then I can help you use this vehicle to achieve your dreams and everybody wins. Oh, I, I agree. And what you said was that whole kumbaya thing. As a leader, you show vulnerability, you show that, but you also have to hold people accountable. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're weak because no. I'm a big, I'm a, you know, my whole thing's on servant leadership. That doesn't mean I'm weak. If you don't do your job, I'm going to fire you. That's, you know, but I'm going to give you every chance you can because I want to help you be successful. But if it ain't going to work, guess what? You're gone. And typically people, especially well, a lot of business, they let people linger way too long. And the reality is those people that aren't successful, they're miserable. Right. They're they're hating their life. Yeah. Give do them a favor. Do yourself a favor so you can sleep at night. Do them a favor so they can go figure out what their passion is. And often when that happens, people come back two or three, six months later and go, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I found a job that I love. And man, that is that's just transformational because it was good for them, it's good for your business, and it's good for the whole culture of what you're trying to achieve. And I have found this was my case early in my leadership career, and I see it now over and over again. In that scenario you described, most leaders will let that linger out of guilt because they know in their heart of hearts they failed this person. 
And they failed this person because they didn't ever understand their personal vision and they never did a thing to help them achieve it. And they just had nothing but expectations of accountability based on a set of metrics and a scoreboard and nobody was engaged. And so they just, they feel bad for firing someone that they knew they didn't lead well enough to actually achieve greatness. (laughs) So they let it linger. What what we just talked about right there, they should be teaching that for a master's program. Right. Because that is the fundamentals. It's, you know, us two knuckleheads, we've been around long enough that we've seen it over and over. And people make it so hard because a good leader doesn't, isn't, isn't not hard, but you've seen the people who can't lead. Oh my gosh. It is such a struggle for these people. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I confess that we know that the neurochemistry behind stress and, and uh, the more that the the external world puts the pressure on you for performance, whatever that is, and us is you know growing brain trust. We've got a revenue goal, and we're trying to grow a company. And I'm the CEO, and some days I wake up and I feel the weight of that a lot more than other days. And some of those days, if I let that weight sit there on my shoulders too long, what's it do? It activates my cortisol. When cortisol activates, it comes squirt out of my ears. Cortisol comes squirting out of my ears. What happens? I come in and I'm transactional, and yada yada yada. We've all been there, right? So being able to manage that. Um, not just as a leader, as a human, to know that fill in the blank of your life, you've got a set of expectations put on you by somebody that you probably didn't let, you shouldn't have let them put on there. And then you feel that pressure, you get anxiety, your cortisol spikes, and now you're living under stress. And so you communicate and behave and act differently than you're designed for, right? Oh, I know that. <laughs> you lived it. You just happened to, you just happened to pull the ripcord and get out and then go and learn all that the, the hard way. So or let's do this then. So let's, um, we're going to point some people to resources for you later. Cause I know that you have a lot to offer in the, in the world of, of sales growth and sales enablement and coaching and, and just business in general. But what I also want to do is I want to pivot and spend some time now on your purpose that not just, not just, I know you have a purpose for helping entrepreneurs and small businesses and leaders grow, but that's professional purpose. Now you've linked the two together in a really, really unique way. Tell everybody a little bit about your discovery behind your purpose and now how you guys are fulfilling that purpose in Africa. All right. So about 10 years ago, I read a book by Bob Buford called Halftime. And it's what you do in the second half of your life to create a life of significance. So I've been spending the last 10 years trying to figure out what that what that's going to be, you know, it's help at the boys home, whatever it is. And just really hadn't, hadn't found anything. And so in 2018, my wife and I went to Africa on safari with my sister and brother-in-law. And we were, we were told, Oh, you got to go. You got to go. And we love to travel, but it wasn't on the bucket list. We just, I didn't care about the animals. I could, you know, I didn't know Africa and I could care less. That sounds so obnoxious, Jack, <laughs> but it just wasn't. And we thought, okay, we got it. We got a situation. We can go. We know somebody and there's a um, the safari camp called Base Camp Explorer. And this guy has a special relationship. So we'll get to do some special things. We're going to take our cameras, take a lot of pictures. So we went there. And because of our the relationship with Base Camp, we got to go to the school they sponsor. And then we also got to go to um, a health clinic. And this health clinic is a cinder block building with two rooms. Virtually nothing in it except for a physician assistant. And after I walked around it and realized it's amazing, they can deliver babies there, they can triage there, they have nothing. Um, And this is in Kenya. And Kenya, where we go, is about five hours outside Nairobi. 
and it's where the Maasai live. The Maasai is the indigenous tribe in that area. They're the ones that jump. If you ever seen on TV or whatever, the jumpers, and they wear all the bright colors. Uh, wonderful. There's only a million Maasai out of 50 million people in Kenya. And their average income is $1,000 a year. Not a month, a year. That's less than a cup of coffee. It's $2.74 a day. So do the math. So we walk, we walk out of the clinic. I'm standing there. The guide, whose name is Derek, and he's a Maasai, comes and he's in the doorway. And I, I look at my wife standing next to me. I look at Derek and I say, Derek, do they ever bring dental teams here? And the reason I ask the dental question is my wife is a dental hygienist. I call her a, a dental angel. She's very, very accomplished at what she does. People love her. People will move out of the, the state of Arizona and come back to have their teeth cleaned by her. So she's just amazing. <laughs> That's impressive right there. Yes. Very impressive. She's five times nicer than I'll ever be in my life. So um, I asked Derek, do they ever bring dental teams? And he goes, no, we get medical teams come through here, but never a dental team. And so I said, is there a need? And he goes, I've got a cavity right here. And Jeff, I got a lightning bolt, be it God, be it the world, be it nature. It said to me immediately, you're bringing a dental team back. Mm. Where'd that come from? And so I have become very intentional in my life. When I think of things, I act now. I do because of people that have passed, you know, no longer on this earth. Life's getting shorter and shorter. Now I'm very intentional about everything I do. So that night we went back to our tent, which is glamping. There's a toilet, there's a shower, there's a nice bed. We're not sleeping on the dirt. This is a nice camp. Um, I went back to the tent. I asked Jody. I said, Jody, and this is the pivotal question, Jeff, because if she says, no, I'm out. I said, I want to bring a dental team. Will you come alongside me and we can make this happen? 10 months later, we brought eight people back to Kenya. We set up in a tent. We brought all our equipment, had no idea really what we were doing. We just are a personality driven. We just break down all the barriers. And we saw not 191 patients in four days the first time. We were boiling our, our instruments the whole nine yards. Wow. Then, then COVID hit. And then we went back two years ago. And then I'll just tell you, this last year, we went back. And we just got back in March. And in four days, with a team of 14, we have acquired, through donations, amazing amount of equipment. We saw 314 patients, did 1,079 procedures, and extracted 197 teeth in four days. In 12 days of dental work, because we've been there for three years now, we've, sent over, we've seen over 752 patients. Our goal was to take one person out of pain. And we do that continually. We had a little boy, 10 years old, come into us. His whole face is completely swollen. He has an abscess. Mm. If we don't treat that abscess and that abscess breaks loose and goes to his brain, his heart, he won't see his 11th birthday. And so we use our portable x-ray machine that is able to, to diagnose where the abscess is. The dentist get him in the chair, take care of him, get him medication. A couple of weeks, he'll be just fine. These people have very little access it costs $50 to have a tooth extracted in Kenya. We set up and we do a free clinic. Plus it's 60 kilometers to get there. They don't have vehicles to jump in a car and just drive up in right. 60 kilometers. And so it is an amazing, humbling, beautiful experience. These people are unbelievable. And you talked about 
everybody, you know, that debt they have and all those types of things. These are people that make a thousand dollars a year. They're happy. Yeah. They don't, they're not going. Yeah. Do they struggle? Absolutely. But they're not going through anxiety, depression, suicide, all those things that we as Americans do. And we are so blessed to live in this country and have so much. And when you have an experience like this and to be an in the, with these people, you just go, sometimes I've even questioned whose life is actually better. Yeah. You know, whose life is better? I walked into a, a Maasai woman's home. It's it's made. She's one of three wives. She has two teenage ch- children. She, her house is made out of cow dung and dirt, and it's probably no bigger than your studio there, if that. And it's amazing. Her cl- her clothes are completely clean. Everything's just dirt floor, dirt ceiling, dirt everything. They they have no electricity. <laughs> they have little vents on the side. I walked out of that home. I had tears in my eyes. I was so humbled to be invited into her home and I walked out and that's when I said, who really has it better? Mm. She's smiling. The kids, there's little kids running around laughing and playing. And it was just such a humbling experience and to be thankful for every single thing that, that we've been blessed with and to be that we have in the United States that it's just very humbling. So that, you guys, so there's two things I wanted to just share. What that was the, the big one there on the, and you're doing those trips annually now, right? Every year we're going back in February, and there's a Maasai family has donated land to us, so we're going to build a clinic, and we just started um, our fundraising campaign, so we can get that clinic built. It's one thing to go every year for four days; it's another thing to create sustainability, yeah, to create that foundation for dental health, um, because they don't even have toothbrushes. Right. They don't have toothpaste. They take a twig that's got some medicinal purposes. And the other thing is the kids, their teeth are getting all bombed out because of candy and soda. It's yep. terrible what's happening to these children. Their parents, we don't see it nearly as much, but it's really, really staggering. So yes, we, we go every year. Well, where can folks go to learn more about the trip and either want to participate in the trip or at least help maybe contribute to the new clinic and, and the trip itself? Where should they go for that? You can go to um, www. Hardwickfoundation.org. Perfect. Hardwick, hardwickfoundation.org. And the link will be in the show notes and also on the landing page. If you're listening to this, click on there and get, get engaged with Jim and, and the whole team and his wife are doing amazing work over there. Now that's one, that's point one. Now point two, you've also extended that now beyond just doing the dental work. And now you've become passionate about giving other leaders this same perspective that you found by by putting them in in a little bit of a different scene, a different setting, and experiencing some of that. Tell us a little bit about some of those leadership experiences now that you've created that you're so passionate about. No, thanks, Jeff. So I came home from that and I started thinking. I think there's a story to be told. And how do I incorporate sales with serving? And nobody needs nobody wants to read another sales book. Okay, trust me. There's been a five million write, written. It's 5 million different training classes. Just pick one and read it and follow it. Well, I mean, unless it's neuroselling, that's different. Yeah, neuroselling. That, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's who wouldn't want to read it. You know, I read it every night at bed. <laughs> so, but so I, I got, what I did was I hired a coach and I hired an editor and we created a program and the program is called Magnificent Significance. And it's about embracing your servant's heart to elevate your business. It's four stages, 16 different sessions. And from there, because it's about how do you make, how do you serve? How do you give? 
Um, the program base is like, how big is your willingness to listen? You know, to your employees, to your customers. How do you reignite that passion in your belly? So many people are burnt out that are running businesses. I can help that. You know, and when you give and serve, it comes back to you 10 times. So because I go to Kenya every year, Kenya is easy for us. A lot of people want to go to Africa. They don't know how to get there. So my trip is six day safari in one of the nicest safari camps in all of Africa. It sits on the Masamari, which is connected to the Serengeti, which is where the 1.5 million wildebeest migrate. You're going to be hanging out with the Maasai people, which is the indigenous tribe who are just fantastic. The food is fantastic. You are going to see it's one of the highest lion populations of all of Africa. Just driving through, there's an area where there's like 20 hippopotamuses just there. It looks like a Disney movie. It's just, it blows your mind. Because here's why it blows your mind. There's no fences. This is where these guys hang out. This is where they live. <laughs> so, but during the day, because you're going to go to safaris in the morning, safaris late afternoon or early evening. So that's when the animals are most active. But during the day, we're going to have two-hour sessions to talk about as a group how do you make a difference? How do you create that life of significance? We're going to go through my sessions. And it's think of it as summer camp for business owners, leaders, adults, because the bonding that what's going to happen is just going to be absolutely tremendous. And it's in the why Kenya, because I can do the same thing at the Holiday Inn Express in Phoenix. But then you go home that night. The water heater broke. Dog ran away. Car got hit. You got a flat tire, blah, 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 blah. And you don't have a chance to reflect. When you're there, you're going to have an opportunity to really think about what's important in your life. How do you want to make that difference? And then when you fly home, 22 hours, and there is a transfer. But when you fly home 22 hours and you've watched everything you can on Friends, now you can sit there and reflect in your chair about, how do I want to incorporate that into my world? What kind of difference do I want to make? How can I create that life of significance for me and my employees and even my customers? It's going to be an it's going to be a transformational experience that they that that you'll live for the rest of your life. Just going to Africa, getting off that airplane, going into that third world country blows your mind. And so that's what I'm I want to offer people. And it's for husband and wives. You want to take your families, we can arrange that too, but it's really for husband and wife to experience. And you know, if the wife is the CEO, the business leader, whatever, that's great. Um, there's activities we're going to have when when we're out, and, you know, doing our own program. But um, just very, very excited about this opportunity. And I think it'll be it will be a transformational trip of a lifetime. Well, a lot of us have done uh, leadership retreats in our career. Right. But very few of us have ever gotten a chance to have that kind of perspective. Like that's like a leadership retreat on steroids. And for those listening out there, I mean, obviously, sometimes to really change your perspective, you do have to change your position. And so that's what you're getting at, right? Take, put, put, taking people completely out of their element, completely away from the distractions. You're out there in the middle of, of God's country, right? And, and if that doesn't change your perspective, I bet the stars there feel like you can reach out and touch them when you're, uh, when you're doing some of that work there. So where can we learn more about that and how to sign up for it, when the frequencies of it are and how, how that's up? Where, where should we go for that? Yeah, the first trip is going to be September 1st through 6th. And you can go to www.mag-sig for magnificent significance, mag-sig.com. 
mag-sig.com. That's also going to be in your notes, show notes and on the landing page for those listening. If you're running a company, uh, maybe you're an entrepreneur, maybe um, you're just a leader inside of a company, I really encourage you to, to look into this, uh, not because it just sounds amazing, but I also know Jim and Jim's heart is for you to really experience life for not success, but for significance. And this the message right now maybe isn't meant for everyone listening, but it's definitely meant for somebody listening right now based on the, the place in life you're in. So whoever that just tweaked in the spirit, go to mag-sig.com and join Jim on this amazing trip. Uh, Jim, I really enjoy getting to know you. And, you know, we met a few months back and I just love coming alongside purpose-driven minded people who have recognized that there is something more to life than, than success in the worldly domain and that there's a significance that we should all be pursuing. And you're doing it with an unbridled passion. It's motivating and inspiring for guys like me. So thank you for what you're doing in the world and just who you are as a person. Well, I thank you for having me on. And I will say one more thing. If anybody there has a sales question, call me. It's free advice, folks. I love giving free advice. If I can lift your boat, we all win. Because that's what it's all about. So don't hesitate. Call me, ask Ask a question. I'm not here to sell you anything. I don't need it. I'm here to help. I've got a lot of experience. And the cool part, if it doesn't work, it's free advice. And listen, folks, listening, talking to Jim, it's not like pulling teeth. <laughs> See what I did there? See what yeah, I did there? that is good. You tell your wife, tell your wife I got one in for, for I got to dig in for. <laughs> I will share that with her tonight. She'll laugh. No, it's just comedy hour. It is. Well, well, thank you very much for being a guest on. I really enjoyed this episode, and I'm sure the listeners have as well. We'd love to have you back on again soon and, and tell us. Maybe we'll have you back on in the fall and you can kind of unpack a little bit of uh that first trip if that would be okay. Oh, absolutely, Jeff. Thank you. It's a pleasure and it's an honor, and I'm humbled to be here. Thank you. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.